Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. But the title today is Staying on the Narrow Road. Staying on the Narrow Road. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, but we're not getting through all three. Uh, So, uh, Hebrews 12. And last week we looked at Matthew 7, 13 to 14, and we looked at the narrow road. We looked at the two different roads. Uh, hold on the picture. Just do the verse first, Josh. In Matthew seven thirteen to 14, where he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And if you weren't here, make sure you get that because we're going to connect this week, last week with the next couple weeks. It's all going to go together. So if you weren't here for that, get the CD, listen to the podcast. But we look now, let's look at the picture now, Josh, where the, um, the picture we talked about, everybody has a choice to make, a narrow road or a, a wide road. And it's hard to see there, but the one road is wide. It goes the wrong direction. One goes the positive direction. And every one of us has to make that choice. Are we going to look to Jesus Christ, the narrow, the, the he says he's the one way, the, the one way, the narrow way, the narrow door. Are we going to look to, to Jesus for salvation? Or are we going to look to the world for salvation? And then Jesus also talked about, after we're on that narrow road, are we going to stay? After we put our faith in Christ, we say, God, I believe Jesus was your son. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again from the dead to give me a brand new life. I put my faith in him. I'm going to follow him. I ask you to forgive me and give me a brand new life. When we take that step of faith and become a Christian, we are now entered the, the narrow road and, and the small road there, but we also have to decide are we going to stay on that road because sanctification is just the beginning. I'm sorry, salvation is the beginning. Sanctification is the rest of it. It was when we, we could become more like God. We become holy like Jesus Christ. And that we have to decide are we going to stay on that road. And every day we have to make that choice, don't we? Just like we make the decision, are we going to become a Christian, follow Jesus or follow another way? But once we do that, even then, every day we have to make the decision. Am I going to, which road am I going to go on? Am I going to backtrack? Am I going to try to hop over the, over the ditch there? What, where am I going to go on this road? And it's not easy. I want to look at a parallel passage to get us started here in Luke chapter 13. If you want to just turn over that or, which in this Bible, 738, or I'll have the verses up here right here. But in Luke 13, 22 to 24 is a parallel passage to the narrow road. And Jesus says in verse 22, <clears throat> he says, uh, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Jesus answers that question. He says, make every effort to go through the narrow door. Some, where it says, make every effort, some of your versions, you have, have an older version that says, strive to enter through that narrow door. And you read the rest of the passage, you'll see it's a parallel with Matthew seven thirteen to 14. But it says to strive. And if you have your Greek Bible on you, you see it doesn't say strive, it says something different. It says, agonizome. That sounds kind of weird, right? But if you look at it closely, what word jumps out at you? It's where we get the word agonize from. He says agonize to get through that that narrow door. It's a a struggle to to enter through the narrow door. It's a struggle to enter salvation. When we we talk about salvation and getting right with God, it's not called a new birth for nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not called being born again for nothing. Because birth, if you've ever been ex- exposed to birth, I've never had any babies, but I, I've seen a number of them born. And, and it's, a, it's agony. It's a nic- agonizome. You know, it's, it's, a, it's agonizing to have a baby. It, 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 it's not just for the mom, but for the baby, too. Got to squeeze. It's, it's traumatic. They, don't, they cry for a reason. It's traumatic to, to squeeze through there and, and come out into a brand new world as a, as a, a new person. And, and that's where Jesus is making that point. To be born again, to be saved, it, it, you have to agonize and struggle and fight and battle. It's not just, oh, I'll raise my hand and I'm going to. No, it's, it's a spiritual struggle to, to repent of our sins and to fight through and put our faith in Christ and decide to follow him. That, that's a, a spiritual struggle. And not just salvation, but sanctification, becoming like. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. That's a struggle, too. It's a, it's a lifelong battle to stay on that road. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks in Pilgrim's Progress and in Journey to the Celestial City, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I want to look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 today. I'm going to just veer off AD, AD PD, okay? But, but it just kept hitting me, this passage. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 talks about how to stay on this road. Let me start with prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing each one of us here today. We thank you for the worship that's prepared us. We thank you that we're going to be able to celebrate communion, which is the the goal of today's worship. But, Father, in between now, we just ask that your spirit would speak to us through your word and, and do the work in our hearts that you want to do and help us keep taking steps on this spiritual journey that you've called us on. And I pray that if anybody here doesn't know you, has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that your spirit's conviction would be heavy upon them and that your word would cut to their heart like a knife and, 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 and bring healing and bring real life to each person here. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, and now we're going all the way up to, if you're using the Blue Bible, it's 852, otherwise you're on your own. But Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says... Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'll read verse four, three, oh, three, uh, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4 I want to add on to here. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So I'm just going to warn you. We're just going to focus on verse 1 today. We're going to hit 2 and 3 next week. So don't miss. Don't miss, all right? Very important. But he starts off talking, and Paul's trying to tell us how to stay on this narrow road. And he starts out talking about a cloud of witnesses. And, and the word says, first of all, he starts off with therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you know it's there for a reason. All right? It's connecting us to what's before. And what, what came just before was Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Talks about all the saints, many, not all, many of the saints that God talks about uh, that have battled through and, and, and finished this fight and, and found salvation through, through God and, and, and Christ. And he goes through this whole list of people. It's a great, great list, an amazing list. Some very surprising names on that list, encouraging to us. All right, but anyway, 
he talks about that this hall of faith, all the people that have gone before that are already dead, they're in heaven, they're Christ already. He calls them a cloud of witnesses. And he's using an imagery of sports. Paul was a big Olymp- uh, sports fan, and he's actually using a picture of a, the Olympic Stadium. There are a lot of the stadiums here in, in, uh, in the Middle East at this point, and he's using the, a picture of an Olympic Stadium, and he's saying a, the cloud is like a cloud of people watching the competition that we're in, the, 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 the fight that we're in, the battle that we're in, the race that we're in right now, and he's saying there's this big picture of a, a crowd in heaven. There's billions of saints and angels. Think of the numbers that are there by now. Saints and angels cheering us on. That's the, our motivation. He's trying to motivate us by saying, you've got a huge crowd. We have the home field advantage. We, on earth, we don't have the home field advantage, do we? But in heaven, we have the home field advantage cheering us on. A lot of people say to me, they say, Chuck, do, do people in heaven, people who are in heaven, can they still see us? Do they know what's going on? And they wonder, is my mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or somebody they love watching them? And I say, yeah, right here. Hebrews, I always take them right to Hebrews 12.1. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. That's, that's an encouraging encouragement, isn't it? Now, he goes on to then give some coaching tips for staying on the road. I'm going to give you a couple of coaching tips today for staying on this road, winning this race, going for the gold. It's all Olympic imagery today. We're going to start with the first two today, and the, the main one is going to be next week. So make sure you're here next week. But the first coaching tip in verse 1 is taking off the sweats. Taking off the sweats. Let me read the verse again. It says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything that hinders. The first step is, if we're going to run this race, is we have to throw, take off the sweat, sweat outfits that we wear. I ran cross-country in high school, and I ran it in... Uh, Barker, New York, which is right on Lake Ontario, which is right in the snow belt, right near Buffalo, Rochester, right between the two. And it was cold. By the end of cross-country season, it was cold. I remember running in snow, October, running in snow, running in sleet, freezing rain. It, it was cold. And we'd have these nice warm sweats on. We have gloves and hats. And I still remember getting ready to run. And the coach say, you can leave on the, the hats if you want. You can leave on the gloves, but take off the sweats. No, you know, this is sleeting. We didn't cancel. You know, they're on here. If it rains, they cancel everything, right? You know, cancel running, cancel games, cancel... Uh, we, if it was more than six inches, they might cancel something. But other than that, no. Yeah, we, we ran, you know. And, and so we'd have to, we'd all be like, no, no, we didn't want to take it off. And I just remember taking off our sweats, and, and it was the sleeting rain and sleet and snow, and we'd be freezing, standing on the line, jumping up and down. They'd shoot the gun, and we'd be off. And, and, and he would not, we'd just let us leave it on just one race, just one race. No, why? It felt great. But what would happen about two miles, a mile or two into the race? We'd be soaking wet and heavy, and then we'd be carrying all that weight. And he, the coach knew, he, the coach knew that it would hold us back, and, and it would be heavy by the end. And and that's why I say take off the sweats. Paul says here, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. This is not necessarily something that's bad or evil or wrong. It could be something good in our life. A good thing, not good for our life, but a good thing, but it's bad for us because it hinders us from moving forward. Could be something good, 
but it keeps us from moving forward spiritually. And this is, that's an important thing to remember. Not everything in our life that God wants us to throw off is bad. It could be a, a good thing, theoretically, but to us, it's holding us back. One of my favorite runners of all time, I, was, I ran and followed runners. One of my favorite of all time, his name was Abebe Bekila. Abebe Bekila. He was the son of a shepherd. He didn't start running until he was 24 years old. He was born in the mountains of Ethiopia. Ethiopia, I don't know if you ever, ever saw any of the story, documentaries about him. As part of his training, he, uh, he, he enrolled as a private in the army. He walked 100 miles to enroll as a private in the army. He was part of his training. He was sent to a camp where a coach recognized that this guy had some running ability. He's 24 years old. He's got some running ability. And so he, he starts training him with the rest of the runners. They're starting to peel runners off and train him to be part of a national team. And, and he starts to, to train him. They were in the 6,000-foot-high mountains. He led Bakila and the other runners through grueling workouts. They would run up to 20 miles a day. They would do repeated sprints of 1,500 meters or more. That's a mile. Now, they were doing sprints. I know the wrestling guys complain about the, the quarter-mile sprints. These are mile-long sprints. They were common. And often, Bakila and the other recruits ran barefoot over the tough, rocky soil. They didn't have running shoes. They ran barefoot. Fast forward to the 1960 Olympics. One of the runners for the Ethiopian team got hurt, so the coach said, I'll try Bakila. Unknown runner. Picks them. He says, I'm going to have you run the marathon. He shows up to run, and one of the shoe companies, um, I can't remember the name of the company now, but one of the shoe companies was giving out shoes to the, new shoes to all the runners, and they gave a baby a pair of shoes, and he tried to run in them, and he just hurt his feet because he wasn't used to them, and he, he didn't know what to do, and so he took them off. He showed up at the starting line with no shoes for the marathon to run through the streets of Rome, you know, the cobbles, cobbled streets, the, rock, you know, the bumpy streets of Rome. Nobody expected him to do anything. But halfway through the race, it was between him and the favorite guy was from, um, where was he from? His name was Radi of Morocco. He was the favored. They were running together. At, at, uh, they were neck and neck the whole end of the race, a mile from the finish, Bakila saw a statue known as the Obelisk of Axum. Anybody see that in Rome? I don't even know if it's still there. Which had originally come from Ethiopia and which had been stolen by the invading Italian troops during World War II. For Bakila, it was symbolic. He surged forward and he beat Roddy by 25 seconds with a finishing time of 2.15.16. He not only won the gold medal, but he beat the world record by eight-tenths of a second. Fast forward four more years to 1964, the Tokyo Olympics. Six weeks before the Tokyo Olympics, he had problems with his stomach. He went in, and it turned out he had to have his appendix out. So he decides to go along to Tokyo with the team, but they, they weren't going to plan, plan on running him. But he decides, I want to just try the marathon. He had not run since six weeks since he had the surgery. 
He had just done some light jogging in the hospital courtyard. That's all he could do, just standing in place, doing a little jogging in the hospital. He shows up. I said, I'm just going to try it. And this time he put shoes on. He's used to shoes now. And he took his place, and he started to run. And he said, I'm just going to try to stay with the leaders. At the 12-mile mark, he was still there. And he started feeling good. What's a, what's a little appendix, right? And this is 64. You know how they used to take them out. There was no, after, you know, what do they call it? Uh, you know what I mean. Something scopic. I got a mental block there. Anyway, uh, he slowly increased his lead. There was no indication that the surgery or the extreme humidity was having the slightest effect on his body or on his race. This all comes from the Gale Encyclopedia biography on and, and, and the Internet. A lot of good stories on him. He said, he said this guy was floating down the streets. By the time he had run 22 miles, he was two and a half miles ahead of his nearest competitor. He entered the stadium alone while 70,000 spectators cheered with a new record of 2-12-11. I'm going to come back to BB in a little bit. There's some more to the story. He threw off everything that hindered. Nothing wrong with running shoes, is there? I run in them. Nothing wrong with appendix. I still have mine. But they were holding a baby back. They were hindering him. And he got rid of both. And because of that, he won both marathons. He won both races. He finished them and, and won them both. What in our life is holding us back spiritually? The good, the bad, and the ugly. What's holding us back from achieving God's purpose for our lives? Throw off everything that hinders, and then he goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin is something bad. This is not neutral. This is not something good. Sin is always bad. Sin is something that, that goes against God's word or God's will for our life. You want to know what God's will is? God's word. Anything that goes against God's word and his purpose for our life, his will for our life, that's sin. That's trying to meet, remember we talked about this last couple of weeks, trying to meet our needs apart from God's will. And he says it's a sin that so easily entangles. Can you imagine trying to run, for those who run, imagine trying to run with your shoelaces tied together. Can you imagine tying the shoelace, crossing the shoelaces over to different shoes and then trying to run? How far would you get? But that's what sin does to us. It's crazy, right? But that's what sin does. When we try to run this race with willful sin in our life, that's what it's like. We're like all tangled up. It says the sin that so easily entangles. Some of you have the older versions where it says besetting sins. Besetting sins. That was a very common word years ago. And here is where addictions come to mind. In fact, besetting sins and addictions were used interchangeably in our country 20 years ago. It was very, very common to use them that way. Because not, but now addictions are used differently. Addictions now are considered a disease that you catch. It's something that you can't help. That's kind of the, that's, that is the most common teaching or thinking now. But the Bible calls addictive sin, addictive behaviors, sin. And sin is something that you can help. The Bible calls addictive behaviors sin. 
that can be repented of and conquered. Is it easy? No. Is it simple? No. Is it, you know, I'm not downplaying addictions, but they are something that can be repented of and conquered. In fact, I have a good little article here. I just want to read a little piece of it. It's from uh, Addictions as Besetting Sins by Franklin Payne, Journey of Biblical Ethics and Medicine. Years ago, I saved this. It says, The Bible itself in several passages labels drunkenness as a sin and one that can be conquered. Okay, alcoholism, right? Uh, And then he goes on to say, A better definition of addiction would be a repetitive, pleasure-seeking behavior that is habitual in spite of moral or physical reasons that should rationally preclude its practice and, dis- and that displaces spiritual obligations. I'm going to put that in modern English. Uh, a better definition of addiction would be something that brings us pleasure and we make a habit out of it in spite of how it's hurting us and other people. And how it's destroying us spiritually. And addictions could be anything, right? It's, it, it, it's not a disease. It is a disease. It's called sin. It's a sin disease. We all have it, right? But, but it's something that, can, that, that we're not victims of. Although we, it can, we can be left vulnerable because, because we've been hurt in some way. I'm not downplaying that part. But we can't look at it as a victim. We have to look at it as, I can repent of this and get victory over it. Is it easy? No. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard. It's, it's going to, by God's grace and a lot of support from a lot of people, that's what it takes, right? We don't do it on our own. It takes a lot of people. But we can get rid of the addictive sins that trip us up. And, and it's very important that we get help. We go to people. We get in groups. That's why we have so many. Anything you struggle with, we got somebody or a group that can help you with it. We all struggle, right? But by God's grace, we can, we can get rid of the sins that are tripping us up. And it's very important that we do that. Another Olympic story. 1904 Olympics. This is one of my favorites. I, I, I love this story. 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. Anybody remember those? <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, very strange sight at the start of the marathon once again. 31 runners. It was the first modern-day marathon, all right? Started it up after how many thousand years. There was a short, slender Cuban by the name of Felix Carvajal. He was a postman from Cuba. And he showed up to run the marathon in his postman's uniform. He had long sleeves, long pants, and these clunky old shoes that he wore on his route to deliver the mail in Cuba. One of the... uh, one of the American track members, his name was Martin Sheridan. He just won the gold medal in the discus for the United States. He felt bad for this guy. He went running over, and I can't I don't know if he had scissors or knife or something, but he cut off the sleeves up high, and he cut the pants to make them short, but he went to the shoes. There's nothing I can do, unless you're baby Aquila, right? So there's nothing I can do. So he had to run the marathon in these clunky, clod-hopping shoes. And he ran with so much energy and spirit that he, he finished very well. Although he didn't win or, or get a medal, he finished very well. In fact, they thought later that if he hadn't been for the shoes, if he had actually had running shoes on, he could have won the gold medal, except for those clunky shoes. He would have won the gold medal, they think. Isn't that crazy? Crazy to run like that in, in a marathon in those shoes? But how many of us do the same thing spiritually? We are, we are allowing the sin to, that entangles. We're allowing something to, to trip us up and, and to keep us from running well or even finishing the race. What's holding me back 
from, from fulfilling God's plan for my life? What's holding us back? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Then, then it goes on to say in that verse, not only take off the sweats, but the second tip I want to give you today, the third one that's going to be next week, the, the biggie, the, the finale, but the second one where he says, then let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And this tip is, the first one was take off the sweats. The second one is don't stop. Don't stop. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The word for perseverance in Greek means literally to remain under. Modern would be stick with it. To stick with it. And he says the race. Interesting word for the Greek for the word race here. Uh, It's spelled A-G-O-N. Sound familiar? It's the same root as we looked at earlier with Luke 11, where he says when Jesus said agonize to enter the the, the door, the narrow door, the small door, here he's saying the race is agony. Agonize to get to, to, to enter the agony. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the same word. It's where we get the word agony from. You see, when we become a Christian, when we say, God, I ask you to forgive me for my sins, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow him. I give you my life. I'm going to follow him. When we take that step, you automatically, we automatically enter a race down a narrow road, and it's going to be agony. Agony. It's going to be hard. Now, life is hard on the broad road, too, right? A lot of us were on the broad road. We remember it was hard on the broad road, too, but it was for different reasons. It was hard because we were miserable on that road. It was hard because we were uh, on a self-destructive behaviors that were killing us physically and spiritually and mentally. And it's hard because it ends up in hell. So it was a hard road anyway, right? And, and we were on our own. When we're, when we're, doing, when we're on that broad road, we're in, our, in the middle of a crowd, right? We're in a big crowd, but we're really on our own. Because we don't have God's help there. There's no grace. Remember what it was like to live without grace? I tell people all the time when they say, wow, I'm going through a hard time and it's really a struggle on trial. I say, there's only one thing worse than what you're going through right now. And that's going through it without Jesus Christ. There's only one thing worse than whatever we go through. And that's not having Christ to take us through that. When, when we put our faith in Christ, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we automatically start on a marathon race, an agon, an agonizing race on the road to life. Now, there's a lot of joy. And we've been talking about that. That was what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. How do we have that internal joy no matter what's going on externally? That's why Jesus says, blessed are the happy are, the blessed are the happy are. It's, it's a secret of true happiness. doesn't matter what's going on around us, we can have joy. And, and that's, and not just joy now, but in the midst, but we know the end result of this race is going to be super joy. It's going to be life not just here, real life not here, but it's going to be life eternally with God someday in heaven. It's now and later. But when we put our faith in Christ, we automatically start this marathon, and it's tough. It's tough. I was watching a triathlon one time. I still remember it vividly. Triathlon, they... Jeff's a triathlete, right? Jeff does the triathlons. 
There used to be triathletes. You haven't quit the race, have you? But, uh, any other triathletes here? Triathletes? Uh, just Jeff? Just Jeff. All right. So, <clears throat> will you start biking first, usually? Swim first. Bike. Run. And, and there's different distances. Jeff did the 100 miles each thing, I think. But uh, the... Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I did the 100 yards each. But, uh, the, but this one I was watching was like the full one. It was 26-mile run. It was 50 miles biking or something. And... Full, it's just brutal, brutal amount. And wow, that's mind-boggling, right? I mean, it, it, there's hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, just six, seven, eight, me hundred hours, you know, long. And I was watching. It was a world champion. It was like this really big one, really big triathlon back when they were just starting, really. And I remember there was the defending woman. She was the defending woman's champion. And it was a quarter mile to go. They were showing it on TV. A quarter mile to go, and she became dehydrated. She started to stumble and stagger. Everybody's telling her, stop, stop, stop. You're going to kill yourself. And she's like, no, no. And she just kept, she didn't know where she was. She just kept going. She collapses on the ground. Two other women pass her, pass her in that last quarter of a mile. She doesn't even win it then. But she staggers across the finish line. They're giving her fluids and trying to... But I just remember, she took third place, almost died, but she had a smile on her face. She was satisfied. She finished. There was no time limit on this. And it was getting... It was dark now and it was late at night and you saw this couple come running in hand in hand 60 years old married couple comes running in hand in hand finishing together almost midnight you see a guy in a wheelchair come wheeling his way in in a wheelchair They just kept finishing. And you see, that's the whole point of, of, our, of our Christian life. The place isn't important. Finishing is important. Finishing it. And the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a triathlon. That's what the Christian life is. And so many don't finish. I read a statistic once that out of pastors who start the ministry in the 20s, only 1 in 10 are still pastors when they're 65. That's sad, isn't it? But it's not just pastors. All Christians that start that walk, how many finish? Maybe we'll get them, but how many finish well? How many complete that race? And the reason is many of us are not in the spiritual shape to complete that race. We're not in the, we're not in the spiritual shape to finish. When I was in college, I, I swam in college, and I remember my very last individual race of my college career was a 1650. It's 66 lengths of the pool. I was begging the coach to let me swim the 100 butterfly. You know, four lengths. I could, I want, he's not, no, you trained, you're going to do the 1650. And it was my last race, I remember it well, because 
I was 20 lengths, it's 66 lengths, I was 20 lengths into the race, and I got a bad stomach cramp. I don't know why, did I eat something? I don't know if my, what, what happened? Something happened, and I got a wicked, the most wicked stomach cramp, stomach ache I've ever had in my life. And I still had 46 lengths to go. And we're not doggy paddling out there. This is swimming, right? You know, we're racing. And I remember thinking, I can't finish this race. I'm going to have to get out. And I said, well, I'll go one more length, one more, one more lap. And I go, did one more lap, and I start coming along. I said, this is what I'm going to tell the coach. I've got a really bad stomachache, bad crap. You'll understand. It might be my appendix, you know. And I'll do one more lap. Another lap. And I remember doing that for the next 46 lengths. I was pain. And I just kept saying, I'm just going to do one more. And I finished. Coach had no idea I had uh, uh, this going on. I get done. I look up and I was shocked. My time was fast. I, had, I thought I was going to have the worst time of my life. It turned out it was the best swim I've ever had. He was thrilled. Do you know why? Because all that season, I was swimming 10,000 yards a day. That's 400 lengths a day, fast. I was, I was training, 400 lengths a day. But you know what? If I had been sitting in my dorm room, eating junk food, watching TV, think I could have done that? No, couldn't do it today. It's because I was ready for that race and the trial. And it's so important that we are in our spiritual training. That we are taking that time with God in prayer. That we are in the word and reading it and studying it and memorizing it and applying it to our life. And that we're wrestling in prayer. And we're doing all the things that are going to get us in shape. Because it's vital for us to let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is the key. A lot of us miss this. The race marked out for us. Every one of us has a specially designed course to run that our coach, Jesus, lays out for us. God knows exactly what it, how to train every one of us. In fact, in Hebrews, we're in Hebrews 12, 1, in Hebrews 12, 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Discipline hurts. He's not just talking about spanking us. He's talking about anything pushing us in, in our schoolwork or in athletics or anything. God disciplines us. He's pushing us. He, he puts us through harder times. He's, he knows exactly what it takes to train us. And we're going to focus on the end of the race and the joy because there's a lot of joy. It's not all bad. Being a Christian is awesome. Way better than when we weren't a Christian. But there is, there is this discipline from God. He's trying to... to He's trying to get us to the end of the race and have us in a different place spiritually. We can't take shortcuts. We can't say, oh, here's a big hill coming up in this race. I'm going to bypass that. What if, you, what if you're on a triathlon and you decide to skip the big hill? What do they do? Elimination. You're disqualified immediately. And the same thing happens spiritually. And we, we, we can't take the shortcuts. And we have to stop looking at other people's lives and their races. You know what? One of the worst, one of the hardest things that I do as a pastor and when talking to people is one of the hardest things for people is they say, well, if only I had that person's life. 
Why me? You know, the pity party thing. Nobody here ever, right? But, but you might know somebody like that. And uh, we all do it, right? It's the pity party. It's deadly to us spiritually. And people say, if only I was married to that person's spouse. Or if only I had that person's money. Or their house. Or their kids. Or their job. Or their, you know, or their health. Or, or whatever it was. And if only, and I hear that, if I only had their race. Right? And, and being a pastor, I know what most of your lives are like, or our lives are like. And, and, I, and I, never, I never connect the dots, but I, but I do say, if you only knew what other people were going through, I never get specific, but I say, if you only knew, you would never want to trade spots with anybody because we all have our own crosses to bear, right? And, and I know what the struggles. And I, I remember one woman, this is a long time ago, she said to me, I really wish I had this guy as my husband. He's so spiritual, and my husband is, is nothing like that husband. And, and I thought she had a great husband. He was a new Christian, but he was growing and sincere, and, and it turned out he is a great guy. But, but I, I had to bite my tongue, because the guy she was pointing out, who she thought was a super husband, I was dealing with sexual addictions with this guy. He was, he was the biggest mess imaginable. He was going to the doctor getting tests, sexual transmitted disease tests. He was a mess. And she wanted to be married to him. And it's, but, but we all do it. I'm using an extreme example. But we all do it. No, it's not fair. I got this and you got that, you know. But God, listen, we all have a race to run. Every one of us. Don't look at anybody else. God has put us on the race we want. Our focus has to stay on the race. The next week we're going to see the coach. God knows what trial and training every one of us needs to prepare us and to perfect us for eternal life. He's trying to get us in shape for eternity here, right? He knows exactly what it's going to take. And so many times we, we look back and we look back and say, oh, that's why. I'll look back at my life, or I'll look back in ministry and say, that's why God did this, or that's why, you know, why, why he put me through this, or that's why I'm going through. We can look back many times and see, but it takes a lot of trust to trust God and just focus on our race and, and focus on our coach, and we need to surrender and trust him, don't we? It takes a lot of surrender and trust. It takes a lot of faith. Which brings us back to Abebe Bakila. The rest of the story. Mexico City, 1968, four more years later. He shows up to run, but he had, he had a stress fracture in his foot. <laughs> what a shock, right? <laughs> Barefoot rocks, right? But he had a broken foot. He arrives in Mexico City and he says, I'm going to run it anyway. He was in the lead pack once again. But at 10 miles, he couldn't take another step. Because even the great baby Bakila cannot run with a broken foot. He had to stop. And Bakila would never compete again. Because the next year, he was driving his car, and he got into a very bad car accident. They flew him to England to treat him, to try to, to save him. He was saved, but he was paralyzed from the waist down. When he was brought back to Ethiopia on a stretcher, huge crowds gathered 
to welcome him home and cheer for him. Bakila turned to paraplegic sports, focusing on archery, but he never walked again. Never walked again. He, he, in 1973, because of the complications, he died of a brain hemorrhage. He was 41 years old and left a wife, of, a wife and four children. They had a national day of mourning. 65,000 people attended his funeral. And this is what he had said in an interview shortly before. He said, men of success meet with tragedy. It was the will of God that I won the Olympics. And it was the will of God that I met with my accident. I accepted these victories as I accept this tragedy. I have to accept both circumstances as facts of life and live happily. That's the, the joy. The supernatural joy, the internal supernatural joy that we have on this race that Jesus has been talking about on, on, in, in the Sermon on the Mount doesn't depend on outward circumstances. It depends on our relationship and our faith in Jesus Christ, which he had. As we go to communion today, how is God speaking to us? How is he speaking to each one of us? What in my life, what in our life is holding us back, is hindering us? Are we ready to throw it off? What sin is tripping us up, hurting my, our relationship with our father or with our spouse or with our family or with our fellowship here or with our reaching our potential? Are we ready to throw it off? To throw it out, to cut it out, even if it's our computer, our TV, our cell phone, you know, whatever it is. Are we ready to get that accountability with, from other individuals or a group so that we can really defeat these things? Maybe you're here today and you've been tempted to quit as we come to this communion time. And that's why we have communion. It's to reconnect with God and his grace and his mercy. But many times we just get tired, don't we? And we just want to quit. Our culture wears us down. We're bombarded constantly with, with all kinds of temptations. Everything in our culture goes against us spiritually, doesn't it? Maybe in our marriage. Maybe we've been married 20, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and, and we just, it's so tempting sometimes to just move on instead of working on the marriage that God has given us. Maybe it's the kids are wearing us down. We're discouraged. We're just tempted to check out and I might as well go, go fishing or play golf. What, what am I doing with spending all this energy and time? Maybe it's our ministry that God has called us to, our, 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 what our, our calling. There's many ch hard challenges in ministry, aren't there? Whatever ministry, whether it's working in the nursery or prison ministry or working with the teens. I'm sure, I'm sure David and Megan are tired right now at the junior high retreat. Will we, by grace, persevere? And the key to all this is staying connected to God with close communion. It's the communion. 
We're going to go in a few moments and take communion together. And how we do it is we just, I just open up the table and we, Mike will play some worship songs. And when you're ready, just come forward and get the cup, get the bread, and you can take it up here in one of the seats. You could go back to your seat and take it. You can, however God leads you, you can take it alone, you can take it with your family, you can take it with someone else, you can go to someone and pray with them, however God leads you. But we're just going to open this up. I want to encourage you, if you have not put your faith in Christ yet, to not take this, because the Bible is very clear. Don't, don't, don't take it in... <laughs> custodians. So uh, the, uh, it's very important that we don't take it in an unworthy way. Or if there's a sin in our life that we're not willing to repent of. I'm not saying struggle with, because we all struggle. We're always going to struggle with sin. But there's something in life saying, no, I'm going to hang on to this one. I'm not willing to give this up, God. If that's the case, don't take it either because this is very important that we really search our hearts and take this in, in a worthy way. But I hope that everyone here does put their faith in Christ. Everyone here does give something over to God that we have to give over, make the commitments that we need to make to talk to someone, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to take this communion. But once again, it's between you and God. We don't keep track. We don't look. We don't videotape. This is just between you and God. Let's go to prayer. As we go to this prayer time, and we all start to talk to God just between us and God, maybe you're here today and you can't commune with God because you never put your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to communing with God is going through His Son, Jesus. But you've never taken that step of faith yet. You're not on the race yet because you've never squeezed through that door yet. But God is convicting you. Maybe you're not ready. You need more time to pray. Keep coming. Keep praying. Keep wrestling with it. But maybe the Holy Spirit has you at the place where you're ready to be born again. To be spiritually reborn. To squeeze through that narrow door. To agonize through in prayer and squeeze through that door. And you can do that. Right now, right where you're sitting, you can wrestle in prayer and take that step. Just pray something like, there's no magic prayer, but something like, God, I ask you to forgive me for everything in my life that goes against your word and everything in my life that goes against your will, all the sin in my life that I've ever done or ever will do, I ask you to forgive me. I repent and ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. And I want to follow him. I give you my life. I give you control of my life. I'm going to follow him. Forgiveness Faith and follow. If you've prayed that prayer of faith today, you've just become a Christian, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with somebody. Tell them. Before you get home today, let them know you've prayed that prayer of faith. Tell me. If you don't have someone to tell here, tell me. Tell me on the way out, fill out the card where it says I became a Christian today, put my faith in Jesus today. Email me, text me something. Tell me because I want to make sure that we can encourage you, be excited for you and encourage you 
in your new faith, in your new life, in this race that you just entered on. For those of us who are already have been Christians, how is God speaking to us about something that we need to throw off, get rid of in our life, repent of in our life, so that we can be, have closer communion and, and run this race well? Maybe we're just tired and we need to stay. We just need to say, God, I'm just exhausted. Coach, I want to get out of the pool. We just need to pour out our hearts to him and go to him for that grace and mercy to take another step and then another step. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would now fill us in a special way as we celebrate Communion, the Lord's Supper. We pray for extra mercy and extra grace in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our trials, in our grief, in our joy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.